This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book. And another week and another guest. And my guest this morning is Shabnam Khan. And we're going to be chatting about her interestingly titled book called How I Accidentally Became a Global Stock Photo and Other Strange and Wonderful Stories. Shabnam, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Janice. It's really a pleasure. I'm going to put the the title and the cover of the book on hold, and we're going to chat about that a bit later. But first, tell me about a bit about your background. And I mean, the the book itself is is full of, as it says, strange and wonderful stories. And tell me a bit about your your background first, and how you you came to have. It's all about these these wonderful adventures that you've actually had so tell me a bit about where you come from and before we get into where you you've been yeah well um the the book is a a collection of of stories about my adventures and um a bit about my background is that um i'm the youngest of four girls in an indian muslim house in durban and i um grew up in this family and so the beginning of the book gives you an introduction um into my life and um you know reading books as a young child um living with sisters the fights we would have and learning how to read and my mother teaching me how to read and realizing that there was this whole world out there as a young child and yeah so that's a bit of my background that I get into and then as the book develops you know I start telling you about how I start traveling and having all these strange and wonderful experiences and I think um we were chatting before this interview about how timeless the book actually is because with not having been able to travel so much or really at all, I think we're able to live vicariously through these adventures. And the book is really, it's fascinating because you have really had some strange and wonderful adventures that most people would never even dream of. And, and as you say, coming from a Muslim family, what I found quite fascinating is the concept of women not being able to travel on their own. And especially when you were quite a bit younger, when you started having all these, these traveling adventures, you weren't really allowed to travel on your own. And your father used to accompany you to a point or your parents used to accompany you to a point, And then you used to continue on from there. The way you used to plan these trips was, was absolutely brilliant. I have to commend you for that. Yeah, I mean, it was, well, I used to try to plan it as best I could, as best as I could. And, you know, it was frustrating at the time, but I also didn't, I can never complain fully about it in the book because he tried his best to to let me do what I needed to do within his understanding of things. So he would fly to China with me for two days just so that he could leave me in China. It's incredible. South Africa. <laughs> And then fly back again to China. You know, it was so complicated and it was frustrating, but I, I, I couldn't be angry because he would, even when I went to, to live in Kashmir in a, in a mountain, in a village in the Himalayas, you know, we, we argued and we discussed this. And then he was like, okay, I'll go and leave you at the bottom of the mountain. And he came all the way and he left me at the bottom of the mountain. And you know, which now in retrospect, I was so grateful for because I was so scared at the time. I was terrified. It was the first time I was leaving home. Um, living, you know, where there's no proper electricity, you know, and it was a dangerous area. And so 
even leaving them there at the bottom of the mountain, I, I, you know, I, you've read the book and I described in the book that I was just, I was frozen. I was so full of fear that I, I was crying even. And I was, what, I was like 27, you know, I was an adult woman, but it was so hard for me to do. And um, so, I mean, even that I appreciated just leaving me at the bottom of the mountain. And, uh, and I guess from there it got a little easier. That's really something, that's one of the stories that I really want to, to chat about in more detail. But I think first let's take a short break and then um, I'm going to, I really want to ask a lot of questions about that trip to, to Kashmir and to those mountains in the Himalayas. But we're going to take a break and then we can get into that in a bit more detail. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back with my guest. I'm chatting to Shabnam Khan today, and we are talking about her book, How I Accidentally Became a Global Stock Photo. And this is a book about Shabnam's many adventures and stories about trips that she's taken, places she's been to, and the many weird and wonderful experiences that she's had. So before the break, Shabnam, we were talking about, in particular, a trip that you took to the Himalayas. Where did you get the idea that this was going to be the first trip that you took on your own when you were 27, first of all? Why in particular to the Himalayas? You know, Janice, I'd been with my family for a a holiday to Kashmir uh, a few years prior to that experience. And and it was just such a beautiful place. You know, it's one of the most beautiful cities I've been to in my life, Srinagar. And, um, you know, there's just these lakes and these valleys and these mountains, snow. And I mean, it's also a really tragic place because it's, it's so militarized. But, yes. you know, the, the thing that stuck with me is that it was so beautiful. And I just kept thinking, I need to come back here and write. I need to come back here and write. And so at this stage, I wasn't like, I hadn't done any trips on my own. And so about a few years later, I'd heard on Twitter about this school in Kashmir, but not in the, the the area I went to, Srinagar, which is the valley. This was more in the mountains. And I thought, oh, this is just my opportunity to return because um, it's in a place I wanted to go back to. It will give me a chance to learn how to be an adult. In my head, I was like, this is how I'm going to be an adult. I'm going to go and volunteer at the school. And um, I just, I don't know. For me, it was just, this is my answer somehow. And so I had to like really struggle to convince my family to let me go. But this is, I'm going to stay stuck for the rest of my life if I don't do this because I am not, I haven't gotten married. I don't know what I'm doing in my career and like I need to do this. So I kind of fought for that pretty hard. And then, um, you know, it was not at all like Srinagar. Let me tell you that. I don't know. I knew in my head it was a bit different, but it wasn't the same place. It was on the mountain. It was different you know in the in the valley you've got all these rosy-cheeked local people and you've got all these valleys of tulips and this very picturesque romantic scene of of what Kashmir is and the mountain is just animals and um you know this this there's a lot of poverty you know because people are living on the mountain they're not near the cities um and it's it's a difficult life and there's this electricity cuts and so it wasn't it wasn't at all like what I had had understood in my head. And I think I knew that, but I was so enchanted and so in wonder and so in awe of, of myself, even just being able to get there, that it didn't matter. Like none of those things mattered. Um, I was just amazed that I was by myself. I was doing this for myself. I was meeting these amazing children. I was seeing stars that, you know, you're up there in the Himalayas, you can almost see the Milky Way. Like it feels like you can touch it. That's what I was seeing every day. And so um 
that's how that happened. And, and yeah. It was really, I mean, you chose a real adventure there because as you say, it wasn't, um, Srinagar. It wasn't where you had been previously. I mean, you literally chose to go and live on a mountain. Cars couldn't drive up the mountain. You literally had to put your stuff on a donkey, either had to climb onto the donkey or you had to walk. And as you say, um, I think you were working in a school up, up the mountain. The children yes. used to run up and down the mountain and which, which you couldn't do. And you were on the donkeys or you were, were hiking up the mountain and you, you did equip yourself with a great pair of hiking boots that then accompanied you on many other trips after that, your faithful hiking boots. Yes, this was really an initiation for you into independence. I, I forget, I, because I spoke about the story, I forget to mention that, yes, to get up to the, to the village, it's quite a process. And, um, at the time there was no, there was no road. So a lot of the villages hadn't even seen cars. Um, you take a donkey, well, we sat on horses and then they put all your luggage on donkeys. Um, and they, you know, it's like a three hour journey up to this, to this village. Um, so it was like a proper, proper village, you know, and, you know, I didn't speak Urdu or Kashmiri also very, very little. So even conversing with the villages was, was sometimes, um, difficult, but the kids, we would teach English too. And so they knew, English and they knew Hindi and they knew Kashmiri and they knew Urdu and they would, some of them, they would come from different parts of the mountain because the school had such a good reputation and some of them would hike up for like two hours to get to school in the wow. morning um, and they were so eager to learn. They were just, you know, the kids were the best part of, of that experience. They just wanted to learn uh, and it's amazing because they're up in that village. They've got a little library. They take book donations and so they're reading about you know, and it Blyton and they're reading about, um, uh, you know, I mean, all these uh, famous books, whoever, you know, and they, they'd be reading about all these different authors. Um, and they're just living in this mountain and they haven't even, some of them haven't even seen a car or have a fridge or have a phone, you know, and so it's amazing how their minds must be opening up there. And as so often happens in situations like that, you said in the book that you learned more from them than you were able to teach to them yeah of course definitely they taught me more than I taught them for sure um they really like opened up my heart and my mind and I'm always grateful for that experience so meanwhile your family are wondering well where do you come from your three sisters (laughs) followed you know routine they they grew up they got married and then there's you who who didn't follow everyone else's lead and you're this independent young woman and you, you've got all these, these incredible ideas and you've got these adventures that you want to follow. And really it is a credit to your parents that you, you do what you do. But before this book, you wrote a novel called Onion Tears. And somebody contacted you from Canada, I think it is. And that yes. book, that book, took on a, a major trajectory and and amazing things happened from that book to for someone in Canada, a retired teacher. Tell me yeah. about, about her. So um there was a, a woman I was gonna say a young woman, but no. <laughs> there was a there was a woman in, in, in Canada, a retired remedial English teacher who uh, contacted me and said, you know, she'd somehow accidentally got hold of my book because she was looking for another book called Onion Tears. 
And, uh, but somehow she got, because there's another book called Onion Tears. And, um, somehow she got hold of my book and she read it and she said, oh, she enjoyed it so much. And, you know, the book is about three generations of, um, Indian Muslim women living in South Africa. And she said, you, you know, I just, um, found the book so fascinating. And she comes from a small part of Canada where, where she says it's, um, there's not much diversity. And she says, I read these characters and I thought, oh, you know, I know them. I, because once you read a book, you know, you feel like you know yes. these people, you know, you, you've met them, you know. And she says, I just, I had just read your book and, and I told her, oh, and she said, I loved it so much. And I was like, oh, can you imagine this woman in Canada read my book randomly and she loved it and she enjoyed it. And I was so touched. And I said, the main thing I want from my fiction writing is for people to connect, you know, so I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. And she's, and then she replied and we were talking for a while and she said, I really want to tell you a story because, you know, you say you want your, your stories to connect people. And so she says, um, when I just finished your book, I felt like I knew your characters and I went to the shopping. I went to the mall or one of the shops and, um, saw these three women who were Syrian refugees. And I think, their area in that part of Canada was taking in Syrian refugees. And she said, you know, I felt like I knew them, even though I didn't know them. And I went up to them and I greeted them and I said, hello, how are you? You know, and she says they were very startled, but, um, you know, they responded and they said hi or something, you know, and she says um, she'd been managed to keep up that little like hello, hi with them. And um, for me, when I got that, it was just I said, I write in the book, even, you know, it's like I didn't win any awards or nothing happened. I said, I had made one woman reach out to another woman somewhere across the world through my book, you know, and that was enough for me. That was satisfying enough for me that the book had done, you know, especially like in a time when, you know, refugees and, um, you know, with, the, with Syria and what's happening there, you know, it's, it's, yes. and she didn't know anything about them, you know, and she felt like she had known these people. And so I felt like I had connected to people who might never have connected if they didn't. And just by chance somehow, I mean, I don't believe in chance, I believe in fate, but somehow this book had got in her hands and it happened. And so it really proved to me the power in, in sharing stories, no matter what, you know, and trying to yeah. bring people together through stories. Yeah. It was, very, it was very important to me. It was an important moment in my life when that happened. So that's why I included it in the book. Yeah, no, that, that was extremely meaningful. And I'm sure, I'm sure that, that her telling you about that meant a lot to you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my guest today, Shabnam Khan. And we are talking about her interestingly named book, How I Accidentally Became a Global Stock Photo. It is a collection of stories about Shabnam's experiences that she's had with her travels and just her general experiences with very interesting things that have happened to her, places she's been, people she's met, and things that have experiences in her life. Shabnam, let's get to the actual book itself, the title of the book. And if the, the title's not um, eye-catching enough, tell me about the cover as well, which is also a, a beautiful cover, very eye-catching. Tell me about that. Um, so the cover has me uh, sitting on a chair, almost like in a wedding dress with a denim jacket and like a crown on. And um, it was taken in 2020 during the pandemic, 
in April on my birthday. So I was feeling really low, you know, with the pandemic happening. I hadn't seen my friends or family. I didn't expect to see anyone that day. It was it was in April, you know, it was just the beginning when we weren't sure what was going to happen in the world, you know. And um I thought, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my own birthday shoot because I want to celebrate myself despite the circumstances, despite the day I'm going to try and make the most of what I have. And so like I set up the shoot, I put my mother's flowers on the ground. I took my grandmother's chair. I wore my sister's old wedding dress. I put my sister, my other sister's wedding tiara on and my favorite jacket and my favorite shoes. And um I posed for this shot. So I, like I set it up as a self timer and um and I set up the fairy lights in the background and I thought, oh, okay, this is a fun picture just to celebrate me. And then when I wrote the book, uh, my publisher came to me and said, you know, we've seen this photo. Why don't we use it for the cover? And I said, no, I'm in a, I'm in a crown and I'm wearing a wedding dress. Why would we, you know, I, I didn't think it was suitable. Like I thought it's very vain and pompous, you know, but um, I mean, they told me why they thought it worked and they said, you know, it's, it's a bit quirky, which is what the book is. And, you know, it's a bit fun and it's, you know, it's about finding yourself also at the end of the day. So capturing your spirit, you know, and so, Eventually, I, they, I realized, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, yeah, this actually makes sense. And so I do say in the book, um, it's about, you know, capturing my spirit and about making the most of what you have in the moment, despite what the moment is. And that's what this book is about. And so that's the spirit I hope you take the book in. And yeah. And, and so the shot is beautiful. Yeah. It's a very, it's a whimsical, it's, it's a gorgeous shot. I think a lot of people are going to think that this is, the global yeah. stock photo that you are talking about, but it isn't. I know. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's a, it's a little confusing, I guess, but I didn't want that stock photo to get more coverage than it already. Oh, absolutely it not. Was, it was already taken with, I mean, it was already used so much without me realizing it that I didn't want to give it more run for its money. And I didn't like the photo anyway. So when we did think about putting it on the cover, I just, you know, it went against everything I had. And, and honestly, putting a picture on the cover that, of a photo that I took, even though I didn't know I was taking it for the cover, but that I took with my own hands, you know, it's a self-time shot. So it's the camera is balancing on a couple of paintings and books, you know, um, is almost like I reclaimed that power to my photo by putting a photo of uh, that I decided on, you know, on the cover um, about a book with a title where I lost the power of the photo um, what do you want me to talk about that story? And then I can tell, tell yes, you. tell me about that, that global stock photo. Yeah. So that, that photo was, um, a good few years back when I was in university. Um, there was a, well, actually, no, let me start with how I found out that the photo was, was somewhere I didn't expect it to be. A friend in Canada told me, um, contacted me and told me on Facebook, why don't, um, why are you in this, this newspaper in Canada? You know, it was an advert inviting immigrants to come into the country. And, um, she posted it on Facebook and so many people replied and said, I think that's Shabnam, you know, and I, I saw the photo and I studied it and I was like, that is, I mean, I think that's me. That must be me. You know, why am I in this advert in Canada? And so another friend looked at it and she said, you know, this looks like this photo we did a, in a photo shoot a few years ago. And um, the photo shoot was this um, photographer in Cape Town who came and said he's doing a hundred face photo shoot and he's calling in um, all races and uh, ages. And for, you know, um, I understood it to be for his portfolio, but a lot of people said they understood it to be for an art project and it was advertised as such. 
and um he he did three portraits of us and the thing that we got back was that we get a professional portrait of ourselves and so i thought it was for his portfolio so when i contacted the photographer he told me oh no those photos you took those years back um they're stock photos that i sell you know and everyone's is and you signed a document and so i felt so stupid at the time because i thought oh i signed this document and i didn't even know what i signed you know and um I reverse Google the image, which if you put the the image onto Google and you can search where it is, and I found myself. That's fascinating. I'd never heard of that. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I don't think people still know till now, and that was a while ago. You can take a photo, put it in the search bar, and actually search and see where that image is online. And so I was in adverts for, you know, in New York for teeth whitening and under eye creams and makeup and selling carpet and leading tours in Cambodia and um, in McDonald adverts in China and Singapore. And it was just crazy. And then they changed my names. My name was altered and then they photoshopped my skin. You know, the scary thing was like I'd been adverts for like foster care saying I'd looked after kids or on oh marriage dating websites with different names saying what I'm looking for. So that's when I started getting concerned and I contacted the photographer and said, you know, they're changing my names and this is not what I signed up for. I didn't know. And he said, uh, you gave away the right to your change the alter the image and change your name and you know it's completely illegal. But I told him as an author people can recognize me and that's not true. But you know, it convinced him to take down the photo from selling it. But I shared the story online and the story just went viral. So it was like, you know, it became a front page story on BBC and CNN. And um, I did an interview on CBS and Monica Lewinsky even retweeted it. And oh, my it just gosh. Became, it just became this crazy big story. You know, I was doing interviews all over the place because I guess people were, you know, how easily you can lose control of something without even knowing if I hadn't even reverse google this image i wouldn't know i was like on um bus stops in london and billboards in america you know and i didn't get any money for any of this all of us didn't you know and it just was to make people aware that you need to look at what you're signing because you think oh what's the worst can happen well this is the worst that can happen you can be in a mcdonald's advert in china and not even know you know so that was the story That's in those T's and C's that everyone just uh, merrily signs without reading because yeah. of the small print. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So this is how we come to the title of this book, which obviously was decided. Did your publisher decide on the title of the book or did you? Uh, me Joint kind decision. of. We actually, the original title was actually, uh, did I tell you about the time? Because I, st- I was sharing all these stories on Twitter about, did I tell you about the time? All these strange stories, you know? Um, but then I realized that this story was the kind of the one that went viral and became such a big story. And if somebody sees the title, they might actually pick it up because they would remember, oh, this was the story that time about this person who accidentally became a global stock photo. But you like the title, right? Absolutely. Okay. So this absolutely <laughs> <it's> fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's, we made it's, a good decision. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to, to be the one. And as I say, the title combined with the, with the photo that's on the cover, is definitely going to be something that that people are going to walk into a shop and pick that up. And if they see it online, if they're looking for something to buy online, they're going to, this is something that people will choose. Definitely, definitely. But obviously in the book, I mean, you're talking about strange and wonderful stories and there are standout instances in the book, well, stories that stood out for me. And one of them was um, a party that you were invited to, on the the east side of New York. 
And you talk about, you know, I mean, being in South Africa, we are brought up on American TV and American sitcoms and American dramas. And, you know, we talk about, we, we hear about and we watch um, a lot of stuff about the Upper East Side and it's, you know, that that's the place to be. And you were invited to a party on the Upper East Side, but it it did something to change your your perception of of what you see and what you want and what things turn out to be. Yeah, I yeah I did. I think a lot of the times writing the piece made me realize what I went through because often I didn't even think about it, but only when you sit and write it down, then you're like, oh yeah. So I was invited. And, you know, despite writing that piece, if someone invites me to an Upper East Side party, I'll go back. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, I was invited to a party in the Upper East Side and I thought, oh, it's going to be so fancy. And, you know, because we see every, in the movies, this is how it's going to be. And people are going to be drinking champagne and they're all going to be dressed up and there's going to be models and politicians. And it's just going to be so la-di-da, you know, and... Um, it's the coolest of I the cool. You have my, arrived. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I have arrived. And uh, I was there with my... I had my big hiking boots because that's the only thing that used to keep me warm and I could walk everywhere. And I had my 100 rand dress from the Durban China Mall <laughs> and my little bag with all the zips, you know, and obviously I didn't fit in. But, um, you know, I was, I was so thrilled to be there. But then when, and there was like artifacts in that house that were like from different centuries, you know, I was so scared I was going to drop something over. It was overlooking the Met and it was, was so beautiful, but I didn't fit in quite honestly. I realized that by the end of the evening was, I just, I didn't know how to access, you know, and it could be that I I wasn't American, but I didn't know how to access the conversations that were going on. You know, I don't drink, so I'm holding my glass of Coke, and I I don't even drink in general Coke. I just like drinking water. I don't understand the big deal about drinking anything besides water. I'm not even a big fan of juice. So, like, you know, parties are a lot about, like, a drinking culture, and I'm just, like, holding my glass of Coke, not even drinking that, and walking around, scared of bumping into these expensive artifacts, not knowing how to talk to anyone. And so I did feel quite out, you know, uh, standing out. And... um Ended up making friends with a, with a, with a dancer, an Indian dancer who was there to do, who was part of the show. And, um, eventually I left early to go and join some other friends who were, who I'd met at a book reading and who were, you know, just hanging out in the Queens, uh, smoking shisha and drinking, um, coffee and eating sandwiches and just like hanging out and talking about their lives in New York. And for me that I just felt like that was so much more accessible to me. And I didn't realize until it happened. I was like, Oh, I actually prefer to be like standing on the street talking to some friends casually instead of like being at a fancy party in the Upper East Side. Yeah, you like you like to look at these things and they're nice from afar, but when yeah. you actually get there, you realize where you're more comfortable, and it's it's not where. Yeah, you exactly, think. exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it was nice to be invited, and you'll go back, as you say. <laughs> If anyone listening um, wants to extend an invitation to a party on the Upper East Side, um, then yeah, I'm, all I'm, is good. I'm <laughs> we'll already now. <laughs> we'll accept the invitation. Just uh, maybe remove all the artifacts because yeah, I've been nervous <laughs> as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then tell me about um, being a bride on a rooftop in Shanghai. 
because uh, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't get the point of that. It, it sounded yeah. bizarre, really bizarre. But what was that? I, so I, to this day, I don't know what that was. And no one in China has explained to me what that was. But, um, I was, yeah, I was doing a writing residency in Shanghai and I was part of a, uh, you know, they've got WeChat there, not WhatsApp. And I was part of a WeChat group that invited me to a wedding party. And, you know, since I was, a, uh, I didn't get a stipend as, as a resident there. Anytime there was like a free event, I'd go in case there was free food or something, you know, and, or, and it was also about meeting people because China was, very, very lonely for me. And um so I'd just go to any event that I was kind of invited to. And I didn't know what the wedding party was, but I was I was in such a bad mood that day. Um I just was like, I'm going to see what this is. I don't care what it is. And so I went to the address and it was, you know, it seemed very dodgy. I was late and it was there was no one there and they took me they took my bag and they put me in a lift and told me, Go up. And I was like, Okay, fine. You know, and it sounds dangerous, but at the time, it just, when you're living in China, you just feel, I don't know, alienated. And so I was like, it's okay. I'm going to go. And so they took me up and then they put me in a room and this room was full of wedding dresses, just like, and they were like, put, put in any wedding dress you want, you know? And I was like, what? It's just beautiful. Like it's a dream, you know, it's all, and I didn't even know I wanted to wear a wedding dress, but, um, I just like started going through all these racks and I found a wedding dress that I liked and I put it on and then they took me to another room and someone does your makeup and then another room, someone does your hair. And then when I was reading it, but to hear you actually telling it, it's yeah. unreal and, all over again. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going for it. I don't care what's happening. I, this is amazing. I'll go for it. Maybe they're going to get me married to somebody or something, but anyway, it's fine. I'm, I look gorgeous. So it's okay. And so, um, they open the door and then you, you come out in this big wedding dress with your hair and your makeup. And there's all these women dressed in wedding dresses. <laughs> they're all just walking around. They're eating cake. They're talking to each other. They're walking on the roof. They're walking up and down the stairs. They're playing pool. They're just, I mean, hilarious. I still don't know to this day why we did that. And no one asked me, like, I thought maybe it's like they're going to try to get photos of us in the wedding dresses. So it's like free modeling, I, I thought. But no one took any photos of me. There was like an aisle on the top and people were pretending to get married. Um, And then we came down and there was cake and, uh, you know, uh, prawn cocktails. And I don't know. And it was just... And then they, they, when you leave, okay, you give back the wedding dress and you, and I made friends over there too. So we all were just posing in our wedding dresses for our, like I was taking photos on my own camera to take home to show people and me playing pool in the wedding dress, me posing with the knight in the wedding dress, me. And it was, it was also the, the venue was very strange. It was like this avant garde, like luxury place where you've got like expensive paintings and crocodile skins. I don't know what the place was, but I was just posing everywhere in the wedding dress. And, uh, you know, I shared the story online and that story also went quite viral, but no one explained to me what that was and why. And when I left, they gave me a little gift bag with chocolate and wine. I mean, I couldn't drink the wine, but, you know, I gave it to everyone at the residency I was staying and they were like, why didn't you invite us? We would have also liked to have come. And I was like, I honestly didn't know what I was going into. It could have been dangerous. I don't know. I could have been like sold into sex slavery or something, but I didn't call anyone because I didn't know what it was, honestly. And they, I think they felt like I hadn't invited them because I was keeping it to myself. And I was like, honestly, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen. 
the most hilarious thing. And have you ever looked it up? You know, Google that kind of thing. Is that a is that a Chinese cultural thing? Is that a a thing that they do? You know, that they. Yeah, you know, I was like, hoping that it's it just a Chinese thing. I mean, is that what they? I was hoping that the story went online viral like that. Like uh, somebody would explain it to me. Nobody did. I had a few like um, expat magazines in China message me and say, "Don't you want to write articles for us?" And and so they didn't seem to even know. I thought maybe it was for the wedding dresses, sort of like you know. I thought we would get photos taken of us in the wedding dresses, and it was free modeling for them. But then again, I said no one was taking photos of us there. So I don't know. And one of the girls I made friends with, they told me, oh, you must come for the Halloween party. That's a whole other thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wasn't, I wasn't in China for when that happened, but that obviously must have been an amazing thing as well. So I don't know. I, I still don't know. Um, and no one's really explained to me. No, I tried to Google it. I couldn't find much information on it. Okay. If you're listening and you know what that's about, let me know. We're going to take a break. <laughs> We'll be back with more interesting stories from Shabnam Khan. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back with my guest. I'm talking to Shabnam Khan and we are talking about her book, How I Accidentally Became a Global Stock Photo. And we've already heard about some very exciting and interesting places and experiences that Shabnam has had. Tell me, what, what do your family think of this? Um, when you told them particularly about that experience in China, um, what did they say? My family, you know, the more I talk about this when people ask me, I think they're very cool people. They're not, not to say they're not impressed quickly, but they're very, I don't know, I think they just accepted of me as one of my quirks, like other people would be like, oh my God, the story is amazing. And they'd just be like, yeah, that happens to her. We don't know. <laughs> you yeah, I don't know. I, oh, my aim in life is to be as cool as my mother because she's just nothing, nothing phases her, you know? So I, um, my sister is like very supportive and she, I suppose, like get my elder sister gets surprised by these stories when they happen and always a bit thrilled. Um, but my mother and father just like, I don't know. They don't seem phased by any of these things. They just, take it as part of my character or something yeah so they, they clearly are used to it and there is a chapter in the towards the beginning of the book that says you were supposed to be a tragedy and you clearly are not that yeah yeah so I, I do talk in the book about how I was supposed to be a tragedy in the beginning which because I'm the youngest of four girls and you know in an Indian Muslim family that's that's just a very sad thing to be the youngest of four girls because can you imagine you're waiting? I mean, and I think this is in all cultures. You wait. I was, I was also going to say in, in many cultures, yeah. you know, for you're girls, it's just, boy, oh my gosh. You're waiting for a boy and it's just always ends up being a girl. And then the fourth, the last child is a girl again. Like I always feel like my parents must have been so disappointed, even if they don't say it, I'm sure. But you know, oh, another girl just waiting for a boy. Um, but my father always says that, you know, he just thanked God that he had a healthy child. And he always says that he's never like faulted on that. I believe him. I don't think he's saying it to make me feel better. That's why he always says he has um good, wonderful kids, because he says he was always grateful for each of them. And um but so but in my community, it was looked, you know, oh, that she's a fourth girl. And so I say I was supposed to be a tragedy. Everyone was like, oh, to my mother, shame, poor you, you know, next time it's going to be a good one or next time you'll get it right. You know, and I, I say, you know, imagine carrying a child for so long for nine months and someone to tell you, oh, next time you're going to get it right. You know, it's 
it's so um unfair. So I was supposed to be a tragedy, but I say I grew up with three older sisters and it was amazing. It was wonderful. And my parents were so supportive that um people wanted me to be a tragedy, tragedy, but I was, I was not. By the end of the ch- chapter, I say I was supposed to be, but I was definitely not. Most definitely not. And I think your family are blessed. It sounds like you had, uh, you've had a wonderful life and your family are blessed to have four beautiful daughters and um, healthy, happy, and you all have a wonderful life. And as you say, growing up in a family with three older sisters, I'm an only child. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always envious. Yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Envious of people with large families. I have four children. So, you know, having a, a large family, um, it's a blessing and every child is a blessing. Boys, girls. Of course, of course, of course. Children. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for parents who saw that because, um, you know, there, there was a lot of people who probably made a lot of comments about having four girls. And for me, I was like, hmm, it's actually the best thing ever. It's, it's, it's not something to be sad about. Yeah. And, and as we said, in a lot of cultures, in most cultures, I think boys are, yeah. are given a lot of uh, preference. They're given a lot of uh, preference over girls. And, uh, yeah, you know, sure. you know, equality, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's not even, <laughs> let's not even go there. The trip to China, and I'm, I'm going to go back to that because that trip to China was actually a very brave move. I mean, I know you went on a, you were on a writing, it was a, a retreat, not a retreat. Um, like a residency. Like a residency. It was a very brave trip to do because China is a country of very different rules. I know that for Muslims, I mean, as for, for Jewish people who keep kosher, the food is a major issue because as you mentioned yeah. in the book, um, there's a lot of food there that we wouldn't touch and it's a big problem. And you mentioned that you are, you know, halal Assad, a very fussy eater, which I completely yeah. relate to. <laughs> so going there was actually a very brave move. I mean, with their with their um, their rules over what you can and cannot use on your computer, you know, social media is is an issue there. Were, were you not nervous? I mean, were you not worried? I mean, yeah. the, the visa issue aside, <laughs> having to <laughs> to uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, I do describe in the book that I'm a very over anxious person, very nervous. Um, and that's also why I always want to be prepared for wherever I go, you know, because I'm always stressed up in my mind, especially when I'm traveling. And it just seems to get worse every time I travel. So um China was was stressful for me in that sense. And I was always scared I was going to be arrested for doing something wrong that I didn't know. You know, as a foreigner, you always end up making some sort of mistake because you don't understand um the laws, or, you know. And you don't, um, I mean, and there, the, the language is so foreign. And the signage yeah. is, is, it's not something yeah. we understand. Yeah. So the, so for me, I mean, the language is completely foreign. It wasn't even a culture I could access into because, you know, we watch American media. So that's fine. European stuff we see. I come, my family comes from India. So I can access sort of like an Eastern kind of culture with India, Pakistan and Bangladesh and those areas. Um, but China was just so completely inaccessible for me because I hadn't been exposed to, to any kind of the culture. Um, and I was trying to learn a little bit of, um, Chinese when I was there, but 
you know, it was, so the whole experience was with regards to the politics of the place and then with regards to the language of the place. And, um, I was personally also going through, uh, I think I was in a bit of a depression at the time. And so the whole thing was really alienating for me in many ways that I can only see now when I look back on it. At the time, I didn't know what was happening. I just felt like, you know, I felt like I was on an island and I was completely cut off from everything. Um, even in terms of like religion and um, culture, I had no access to those things. You know, I tried to go to a mosque once, but it was so far away. And uh, it just, I felt very alienated there. And um, I was nervous quite often about, I was scared if I got sick, like who, where would I go? Who would take me to the hospital? Would they know what was wrong with me? How would I explain? Because English was not common there at all. Even in the international hotel that I was staying at, it was a struggle and even with the residents which there was about 20 of us staying there from all over the world even themselves most of them were Europeans they were speaking French and Belgian and other languages so even then English became uh, you know English is the norm wherever I go generally what you go to to, and English was not welcome at all you know Um, so so all of that led me to having a, a very strange experience. I look back at it in like some kind of strange dream experience that I had and living in this like luxury hotel in this middle of this place where you don't know what's happening. It was weird. <laughs> surreal. Must have been a bit surreal. Yeah, yeah, it was surreal. So just before we wrap up, what's next? I mean, has it been strange not being able to to travel or go anywhere in the past? year and a half yeah but um I was working on my book for the last year so that was in you know I mean it's terrible times but for me in that sense it worked out because I just had to stay home and write and that's what I needed to do but now I'm getting itchy feet to go out and travel and experience things again especially now that the book is out um there's so many places I still want to see and so many people that I don't know who I'm going to meet and um yeah, so for, for, for me, that's the plan is hopefully, but you know, with the times also, you don't know whether you, you could, yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound morbid, but you don't even know if you're going to be alive, you know? So it's, for me, it's, it's really about getting to the point of like getting my family and me safe and then thinking about what the next step is and, um, getting to, to travel again. I really want to start traveling again. And I'm working on my second novel as well. We look forward to that and we look forward to your next book with um, more strange and wonderful stories from you, Shabnam. Shabnam Khan, it has been a pleasure chatting to you this morning. And um, if you have been listening and you want to get your hands on this book, it's called How I Accidentally Became a Global Stock Photo and Other Strange and Wonderful Stories. It's by Shabnam Khan. You will not be able to miss it. It's got a beautiful eye-catching cover of Shabnam sitting with her feet up in a beautiful wedding dress with a denim jacket on. It's a gorgeous cover. I highly recommend it. It's really entertaining, but it's also insightful and lots to read about and learn about of all the different places where Shabnam has been. Thank you for being my guest this morning, Shabnam. It's been great chatting to you. Thanks so much for having me, Janice. And if you're listening, like I always tell you, even more so now than before, take care of yourself and of each other, wear a mask and read a book.